Welcome to the Pearl Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message blesses you in a way that is inspiring, encouraging, and transformational. For more information about our church, please visit thepearl.church. We hope you enjoy this message. Tell you, wow. When I start talking, you may mock my accent, but be careful. Because when you get to heaven, Jesus sounds just like this. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, Corona Schmarona. <laughs> you know, um, Pastor Doug and Donna, uh, you know, the longer I'm around people that I've walked with and journeyed with for a long time, there's certain things you can't replace. You can always get new friends, but you can never replace longevity. And longevity means depth. And you can't get depth from new things. There are no, oh, he's so deep, she's so deep. You don't know until you've dug out the well and done some life together and bumped some heads and got some skin in the game with people. You know what? That's what depth, and when you, you've seen them at their worst and you've seen them at their best and you've cried together, you've had snotty noses together. You know what I mean? You've done, you've done some stuff. You can't replace those things. Um, and I just heard somebody say, I thought this was so profound, Forgiveness is, a, is an art. It's a skill you learn. It's not something you're born with. And he who can forgive much has longevity. If you can't forgive, I can't forgive. If I can't get over the bumps in relationships, all my relationships are going to be shallow and going to be short. Longevity equals forgiveness. Can I hear an Amen. So I just want to, not that I've had to forgive you guys a lot, but I just, I just the older I get, the more I, I value that. There, there are things that can't be replaced. There are things that can't be substituted. And um, this is a new iPad, and it doesn't know what it's doing. Okay, hallelujah, there it is. Having an aneurysm right now. Okay. I wanted to read a scripture. Just can we do this in the face of Corona? This is what the Bible says, okay? All right. <clears throat> it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, come on, you can say this of the Lord now. He is my, come on, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him, in Him, I will trust. Surely he shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. And he shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and butler. You shall not be afraid. Of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, 
nor the pestilence, nor the pestilence. Come on, nor the pestilence that walks in the darkness, nor of destruction that lays waste at noonday. Now hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. A thousand shall fall by your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only you shall look with your eyes and see the reward of the wicked because you have made the Lord who is your refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall before you. And it goes on to say, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. That's the scripture. That's the scripture. The virus is invisible, but we have a a far greater invisible power, and that's the power of our confession spoken in faith against that which the enemy seeks to do in our lives. I I just, before I get into my word, I want to share a prophetic moment that we had as a um, when we were uh, having a staff meeting together, the Lord showed me a picture of this house and what he's doing. And I wept because of the beauty uh, and the majesty of what's happening and what's about to happen in this house. I saw the Lord bringing people back to the house of God that are generals in the faith, people that have become de-churched. They, they, churches, they've, they've always said, we, we don't feel the presence of God anymore. We don't speak in tongues anymore. Where's prophecy? Where's the gifts of the Holy Spirit? And people have exited the church, and they still love the Lord, but they just read the Bible on Sundays with their family. I have a word in season for you. They are coming back by the hundreds. They are coming back by the thousands. And they are coming back here. And the reason God gave you this building is because he intends to fill it multiple times on the weekend. You are going to be blown away. This is, you know what this is in the spirit? This is, there is a, a, the sign of a spiritual hospital over this building. People are going to come here and their marriage is going to get healed. They're going to get delivered. They're going to be made whole. They're going to be restored. God's going to do a great work. You're going to see the prodigal sons and daughters coming back to this house in the droves, in the droves, in the droves. They won't be able to resist it. The love of God, the power of God, the presence of God, the praise of God in this house is going to be off the hook. So get ready. If you're not from a Pentecostal background, you might need to buckle your seatbelt. If you had no, uh, uh, if you've never encountered a charismatic move of God, you better put on a five-point harness. Hallelujah. God is coming back and he's coming back in power, in glory and might. Millennials are going to flood this place, not because of an intellectual message. They are going to come here 
purely because they are going to experience and encounter Almighty God. They will get rocked to their core and they will become addicted to the gospel. Hallelujah. You are going to see the transformation of this city and this region come because God is going to bring the old and he's going to bring the new and he's going to splice them together and engraft it. God said there's a stump in the ground. There's a stump in the ground and people walk past it and they mocked it for they said that was a great tree. That was a great tree. But look at it now. It's just a stump in the ground. Oh, but wait, God's not done. God's not done. It's not over. Hallelujah. Because there's still life in the root. And along came the Pearl Church. And God looked across the land and said, no, not you. I saw a picture of the sons of Jesse standing before the Lord and very grand and, 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 and impressive people. And the Lord said, no, no, no. And Jesse said, is there another? Yes. Woo. He's playing his harp with the sheep. God put this house and engrafted it into the great stump because of the worship and because of the presence of the Lord that has been honored in this place. You are going to see an exponential growth of the pearl church out of the root that is in the ground and it's going to come up and it's going to be a hybrid and the people will say, how did this happen? And you will not be able to answer them. All you will be able to do is point up and say, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. It is the Lord. It is the Lord. It wasn't a formula. It wasn't a personality. It wasn't an ego. And it definitely wasn't a logo. It was heaven coming down to earth. And there's a scripture that says this. Whoa, am, I, am, I, am, I, am I preaching to the choir? Should I have gone down the street? No, I believe I'm in the right place. Hallelujah. I believe and I'm so honored to be in this Kairos moment. Most people never get this. The fact that, and even if they do, they'll get it. It's a once in a lifetime. When you honor the moment for what it is, you can respond in like kind. When you actually recognize spiritually what is happening, there is a seriousness and a soberness to say, my God, if I am at the foundation level of what the Lord is about to do, you better stand up and pay attention and say, Lord, I'm here. Here is your servant. Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I be a part? How can I be a part of something so great? Because there is a rebirth that's about to happen and God chose you to be part of what he's doing in this season right now. Even if you're a first-time visitor, God is engrafting you and you have found your home, you found your place, and these are your people. Can I hear an amen, somebody? Forgive me, Pastor. I hope I didn't overstep. I just, I have it, it's just burning in my heart. What I can see in this house, 
It's beautiful. Just like a pearl. It's be- you are beautiful. You are beautiful. You are the apple of his eye. Hallelujah. Talking about pearls, I want to share a couple of my own with you this morning. Is that okay? The difference between preaching a message and giving you a pearl is that a pearl came out of suffering. A, a pearl doesn't just arrive. A pearl goes through a process of irritation and frustration because an impurity got into the mollusk and the mollusk created a reaction and before you know it, it covered it in nacre and, and one layer upon another layer upon another layer until you have the beautiful pearl emerge, but the pearl came out of a place of difficulty. All really beautiful things come out of hard places. You know, talking about pearls, I want to share one with you. When my wife and I were about to plant our church 20 years ago in Johannesburg, we um, got a phone call from my parents who said, we've been looking for a house and we happened upon a street called Agape Street. And uh, because we were saying, Lord, give us a sign. And we got a literal sign, Agape Street. So uh, we went down the street and we saw a partially built house with a number on the side. And so we called the number and a man named Vessel answered the phone. (laughs) The Vessel of the Lord. And we told him what you were going to do. And he said, just lift your eyes from the place where you are and you'll see a partially built church. I believe this phone call has been ordered by the Lord and I need to meet your son. I'm going to fly to America this week and meet him. I didn't know this guy at all. He gets on a plane, flies to the States, to Portland, Oregon, and meets me, spends a week with me, shows me the plans for the church, says, I believe God is giving you this building. The previous church has, has, has not been able to complete the work, and uh, it's going to be given over to a business for the business to have it. I believe it's God's building, God's people, God's, land, God's agenda, and it's for you. And I was like, wow, praise God, that's awesome. He said, I only need a million dollars. And I said, well, that's where the story ends right there. <clears throat> I don't have a million, but what I do have is I have a need for my own personal house. And he said, yes, I'm a developer, and there's one right next to this building. I said, okay, go ahead. I approved the plans, gave him a $50,000 deposit. Ginny and I arrive in South Africa. She's five months pregnant with that big strapping lad. And uh, we arrived there, and... uh, You're already ahead of me. You know what's happening. I think you already know what's going to happen. You know when you get that sinking feeling? When the lights start turning up and you realize that what you thought was a blessing was actually a curse. And what you thought God was going to do, it's not happening. And the very thing you were excited about begins to crumble all around you. Well, that started happening, and I realized we had been scammed, and I lost $50,000. Welcome to South Africa, you church planter. That was our introduction into the will of God. 
to travel around the world and go, okay, this is your moment. Let's go. Where's the red carpet? There was no red carpet. In actual fact, there were just fire pits and dangerous animals uh, welcoming us there in the spirit. And so I was devastated. Come on, say devastated. Come on, if you've had a devastation in your life, can you just wave at me, somebody? I'm talking about proper devastation. I'm not talking about a hangnail or a toothache. I'm talking about it was serious. Maybe you lost a child. Maybe you lost your dream. Maybe you lost your business. Maybe you lost someone you love, and you were devastated, truly devastated. I've got, a, I've, got a, I've got good news for you today. Without a devastation, you cannot have a restoration. I want to talk to you about God's restoration. So when I'm going through this, I'm angry. I want justice. How many of you just love the feeling when you watch a movie and somebody gets justice? That's a good feeling, right? It's like, yes, I want justice. That's a natural thing. All of us want justice. I wanted that man to pay, pay me back and pay some more, go to jail. And the Lord, the Lord, and I was about to get stuck in my devastation. My, that, that instead of being a stepping stone, it was going to become a tombstone. And instead of God using this to get me to the next level, I was going to fail the test and stay right there full of anger, full of unforgiveness, full of bitterness, full of resentment, getting disillusioned with God. I came around the world. God, this ain't fair. Newsflash, God's not fair. Jesus dying for your sin and my sin was not fair. God's not fair. This world's not fair. But what I can tell you something is God is good. Very, very good. So here, here I am learning this, this valuable lesson. I get a phone call from my father-in-law. Really not great timing for me. Um, you know, father-in-laws speaking into your crisis. That's a difficult one for me. So he calls me up. And instead of him rebuking me, I get these words of wisdom. And he says to me, James, the money's not gone. It's in a spiritual bank account right now. And I was like, and that was a seed thought that got into my spirit. And the Lord took me to this scripture in Psalms 126 that says, those who sow in tears will reap in joy. It doesn't say sow and reap, sow in tears, sow in the pain. What is sowing? Sowing means something's leaving your life. Something's not just leaving your life, but it's going into the ground and it's dying. It's a death experience. It's, it's devastating. It's, it seems final. There's nothing more final than death. So there's finality to your, to your situation where something's left your life. And it's, but God, but God, how could you be in this? But God, I know you led me to this point. But God, I know you had me marry that man. But God, I know you had me start that business. But God, have you had a but God moment? Not Corona, I promise. <clears throat> so this, this phone call then gets me to go to the scripture, and then God says to me, James, you can change it. It's left your hand, but you can change how it leaves your hand. 
It doesn't have to be taken from you. You can turn what was stolen. You can turn the sorrow into seed if you want. I'm not going to force you. If you want to turn the sorrow into seed. He says, I want to give you beauty for ashes. I want to give you the oil of joy for mourning. I want to give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. See, you have to have ashes, mourning, and heaviness before you can have oil, joy, hallelujah, and everything else. You don't get a resurrection without a death. You don't get restoration without devastation. Can I hear an amen, someone? So in actual fact, restoration and, I mean, devastation, death, and destruction is a platform that qualifies you for supernatural divine restoration in your life. People say, whoa, 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 what do you mean divine restoration? Yeah, God doesn't restore like you. I, I know someone who restores cars and Mustangs in South Africa. He gets these beat up, worthless, horrible looking things and he restores them to showroom condition. And when he's, thank you, doing that, he does everything down to the, I got to get the right headlight, the right tail light. I got to get the right color in the outside and on the inside. It must be original. However, when God restores the Mustang, he doesn't go and look for a V6 engine. He puts a V12 engine in that baby. He puts air conditioning. He puts hot hot rod stuff in there. He puts a, a kicking sound system that will, you can be a block away and you'll hear it. God doesn't upgrade things like we do. He doesn't restore things like we do. He does it in greater quality in greater quantity, and in greater kind. When Jesus went into the grave, he didn't come out the same way he was. He came out glorified. He could walk through walls. He could be in multiple places at the same time. Hallelujah. Think about every resurrection moment. Lazarus didn't come out the same guy that went in. He had had an encounter. Come on, there is something about death and resurrection that is a part of how God deals with our process in this life. And he wants us to begin to move from wanting payback, wanting, wanting justice, to actually saying, God, I'm going to take the, the pathetic reward of this world called justice, called, you know, restore to me what you owe me. And I'm going to let you, God, step in and deal with this your way. What's God's way? Job. Talk about a guy who lost it all. But what, is it, what happens at the end of the story? You see, some of you right now are in the middle of your story and you don't know how it's going to end. So you just have to keep walking, keep trusting, keep believing because you can't turn around because you can't go back. There's, it's too narrow. It's too important. You've gone too far. Can I hear an amen? And you know deep in your heart there is no way. I'm going to quit. So you're faced with a decision, Lord, how do I move forward in this? How do I get upgraded? How are you going to make this work together for my good? How's that going to look? And the Lord restored Job's losses. 
when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. God is going to give you double for your trouble. Come on, say double for my trouble, baby. Double for my trouble. That's how God works. God's not a respecter of persons. If he does it for Job, he's got to do it for me. He, he don't have any favorites. Hallelujah. We're all his favorites. So when I think about God and how he restores, he wants us to move away from having a victim mentality when we face devastation. So in my story, if I can just help kind of you understand how God ended my story. Well, I called the man up because the Lord says you can't just uh, move on. I want you to call him up. Now listen to this. Call him up and tell him that you are not going to charge him, that you release him, that you forgive the debt, and you forgive the debtor completely and turn it into a gift so he doesn't feel guilty, but he feels blessed. If you're going to do it, do it right. You know how we like to do it. We like to take that scripture that says, you know, bless those, you know, with, uh, with the coals on their head, you know, that kind of scripture. You know what I'm talking about? And we do that with the sense of, yeah, I'll be good to you, but I got an agenda. Here's how good I am. Here's the coals. Burn, baby, burn. In actual fact, heat escapes from the top of your head. So when somebody's been outside and they're cold, it was tradition to bring them into their house, bundle up some coals in a, in a, in a, in a bag, and just gently put it on someone's head to restore their body temperature. It was not meant to be painful. It wasn't supposed to be, you know, stick it to you. No. God told me then, James, you're not going to act like that with this guy. You want my blessing in this? And you want me to give you double for your trouble? You are going to bless this man. I called him up and I said, Vessel, man, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have known about this church building. If it wasn't for you, you know, we wouldn't have been led to the exact area that the Lord wants us to be. I'm so grateful for that. And I want to bless you with the monies. You don't have to pay it back. I say, God bless you. And uh, hallelujah. And I left it right there. Oh, and I said, I said this to him. I said, I also want you to know I'm not holding this against you. And I completely forgive you. And that was a big part of that because it was hard, eh? It, let's not, let's not, I'm not, I don't glow in the dark. I'm, I'm just like you. I, uh, it's, it, it's real. It was painful. You know, the Lord said to me the other day, forgiveness is like breathing. If you only breathe in, go ahead and breathe in. Now you can exhale. If you don't exhale, you die. Forgiveness is that. Forgiveness is breathing in so you can breathe out, so you can breathe in again. If we hold on, 
Forgiveness is never for the person who needs to be forgiven. They don't care whether you forgive them or not. Come on, let's get real. You ever somebody come, come up to you like, I just want you to know I forgive you. <laughs> it's like, they get offended, right? Like, I need forgiveness. Like, I've done something wrong. You don't need to tell people you forgive them. They don't care. Forgiveness is for the forgiver, not for the, the person who's offended you. It is totally so we can keep moving forward. So I've learned, don't get hung up. The sooner I can get over it, the quicker I can move on. If I get stuck there, I'm the only one paying the price. They've moved on, man. I'm not affecting them. So there's a sense of the, doing it right where God said, okay, James, completely forgive this guy and let him know. Because he knew how much he took from me. There was no ambiguity here. Three months later, the Lord blesses Ginny and I with our own house completely paid for. God blesses. A supernatural thing happens. We get this house paid for in full. Ten months later, I sell that house for exactly the amount of money that was stolen from me and get a better house than I would have had if I actually had the original house I was supposed to have. And then I sold that house for even more, and then up with an even better house after that house. That's my personal side, but it was also, this didn't just affect me, because there's a miracle in the church building. Here's this partially finished church building. This guy bequeathed it to us, we took it by faith. I wrote scriptures all over the unfinished building in chalk and uh, trusted the Lord and declared and stood in faith. A year later, we end up in that building as a church. They're painting the walls and they get to my office and they paint the wall and the paint draws the old chalk out of the concrete and you know what it says? With God, all things are possible. We have that building today. It is a beautiful building, paid for in full, hallelujah. This is how God works. This is a pearl I'm giving you. You may be stuck right now in your devastation. And the Lord is saying, you have to forgive. You have to turn your sorrow into seed. And there's no joke. There's real tears. You're going to sow in tears, but you're going to then reap in joy. Your joy is coming, but if you have to sow it now, then sow it. For some of you, it means an email. For some of you, it's a phone call. For others of you, it's a face-to-face. But God's going to get real specific with you about how to move on. Some of us are stagnant, and you've been around the mountain long enough. And the Lord has said, he sent me from around the world, 14,000 miles, to tell you, you've been there long enough. And now it's time for you to forgive, release, turn it into seed, and watch what God does in bringing it back in greater quality, quantity, and kind. It will blow your mind. Any seed that remains, remains alone. It has to be put into the ground. 
so that some 30, 60, and 100 fold can come back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Come on, running out all over. Amen. I'm not saying that this is easy. This requires intentionality. This requires faith. This requires a decision. It's got nothing to do with emotion. This has got everything to do with being a person who says, I will not stay where I am. And as long as I carry on the way I'm carrying on, I am stuck. God is coming with a crowbar this morning to get you unstuck because the power is in your hand. You are not a victim. I am not a victim. Somebody say, oh, you don't understand. You weren't born into my family. You don't have the boss I have. Have you ever felt like your boss or someone over you who has authority about the decisions and the directions of your life? It's like, I don't really have a say. All these decisions are being made for me, and they're bad choices. Have you ever felt powerless? You see, God's bigger than your boss. God's bigger and more. He's the one in control. And if we can keep remembering that and go back and default, I am not a victim. I'm a victor in Christ. And I know that when I trust God and do it His way, He is going to make a way where there seems to be no way. And I'm going to end up on the top every time. Look at Joseph. Every pit he gets thrown into, God delivers him out of. Even when he's a prisoner, he ends up running the thing. You can't keep a good man down. Hallelujah. You can't, God will, you will always rise like cream to the top, hallelujah. God will make sure that it happens because he is not a man that he would lie. He will do what he says he's going to do, but we have a part to do. And our part is to turn our sorrow into seed. Amen. I think that um, I want to go beyond just preaching this morning, what I'd like to do right now is maybe have some uh, maybe keyboard or something. I want us to respond to this because some of you are saying yes now, but as soon as the, the full light of day smacks your face when you get out this building, you're going to start reasoning yourself out of it. And I want something concrete. See, people are leaving right now. They just can't... <clears throat> You know what I'm saying? God wants to concrete this in your spirit. He wants to let there be an impartation to give you courage and boldness to do the hard thing. I tell you what's hard is staying where you are. That's really hard. What's less hard is saying, God, I'm going to respond. I want to show you in the life of Abraham. Abraham was given a miracle child. His name was Isaac. And Isaac was how God will fulfill all the promises that God had made to Abraham. The promise to Abraham is that he would become a great nation and his descendants would outnumber the seas of the sea. Uh, the, the sand of the sea and, the, and, and, uh, and, and that God was going to make him like the stars in the sky. Remember when he told him to step out of the tent and to look up? That was what God's heart was toward him. And at the same time he told him to go ahead and look up, he then said, tomorrow 
prepare yourself and your son to go to Mount Moriah where you're going to sacrifice Isaac there. That is, isn't that a contradiction? That is a contradiction because how can God's promise come to bear if you're going to kill the very one who's going to make it a reality, who was already a miracle child? This doesn't make sense to the natural mind. But Abraham, being a man of faith, goes anyway, takes his son, binds him on the altar, lifts his hand to kill his son. Can you see the whole seed in the ground? Before there's a resurrection, there has to be a death. Here's the knife. The angel stays his hand. And then and only then do we see a ram in the thicket. You see, the provision that you're asking God for is only going to come after the sacrifice. It doesn't come before. You see, rams like that, this is not a mountain goat. This is a, a male sheep, a ram in the thicket. They don't go up mountains. They feed in the valley. God had to make an animal go against its nature in order for his provision to be made real. God will do whatever he's got to do to make sure that you get what you need, even if he's got to call an animal to move from its natural safe place to an unsafe place in order to show, I am a good God. I will provide for you. I am Jehovah Jireh. What I can say this morning is that God had to prepare that animal at the same time he prepared Abraham and Isaac. Already happened. They were walking up the one side of the hill and on the other side of the hill, the ram was already on its way up as the provision. Your provision is already on its way. Even before you come up here, even before you do your thing, God's already sending that miracle. God's already working on those hearts. God's already making a way where there seems to be no way. Even if he has to make the sun stand still, he'll do it. Because his integrity is on the line. Would you stand this morning? I believe we need to respond. I believe that there is something that happens when we mix our faith and our belief with action. And the action I'm asking you to take this morning, if you've got something that has been devastating and you're believing God for a restoration, I want you to step out of the place where you're standing right now and meet us up at the front. We're going to pray. We're going to agree together in the mighty name. Of Come on up here. Come on up. And in the balcony. Come on. It'll take you a bit longer. God wants to turn your devastation into restoration. Your sorrow into seed. Your death into a resurrection. God is the God of the turnaround. He's going to give double for trouble. Come on, are you a candidate? Double for your trouble. Hallelujah. Some of you've lost a business. Some of you've lost a dream. Some of you've lost a parent. Some of you've lost a child. Some of you've lost a spouse. 
Some of you have lost your way. Some of you have lost your job. Come on. God's not surprised. God's here. God's going to work it out. You give it to the Lord. You forgive and watch God step into the void. Watch God step in and he's going to make it happen. He's going to turn it around. It's God's problem now, baby. It's not your problem. Hallelujah. This is where it rolls out of your hands into his hands, where it comes off your chest and it sits at the foot of the cross. This is that. That's what's happening now. Church, extend your hands to these that have come forward this morning. Would you just, if you're here to receive, lift your hands right now. You just receive. You just receive. I want you to say this out loud. Jesus, I'm giving you my devastation. I'm forgiving right now. I'm turning my sorrow into seed. Take it. All of it. Every part of it. I give it to you. Lord Jesus, thank you for restoration. Divine restoration. Divine healing. Divine supply. Come on right now. Lord, I thank you. Right now, Lord, across this place. People, Lord God, moving away, Lord God, from sorrow moving away from shame, moving away from, from the feeling of, oh God, I, I, I'm so, so disappointed. Lord, I thank you, God, for lifting the disappointment, lifting the frustration, lifting the resentment, lifting the hurt, lifting the pain, the ability to let people go, let people go that have hurt you, harmed you, shamed you even, people that have spread lies about you and done things that were wrong, people that have, have not appreciated or understood at all, but they've done their own thing. There's forgiveness, there's forgiveness and there's healing. You see, healing comes when we let go. We give space for God to heal. But when we hold on, He can't do it because there's no room for Him to do it. Hallelujah. There's a releasing, Lord, to this morning, a releasing of weights, a releasing of heaviness, a releasing of burden, a releasing of resentment, a releasing of frustration, a releasing, Lord, a releasing God, a releasing, Lord, a releasing of control. You're releasing control. Let the control go. You don't need to be in control. He is in control. He is in control. He is in control. Lord, I thank you for a shift, a shift, a shift, a shift. Lord God of momentum now. Not a victim, a victor. Not a victim, a victor. Hallelujah. The Bible says, and even though you go through the fires, you will not even smell of smoke. If you go through the waters, you will not even be overwhelmed. Hallelujah. You're going to go. You're not going to be defined by this. You're going through this. You're not defined by it. This is not your story. This is not the end of your story. This is just one chapter in an amazing, amazing tapestry that the Lord is weaving. Hallelujah. 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 Father, we thank you for the testimonies now that are about to come. Testimonies that are about to come. Testimonies. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Testimonies that are about to be released in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus a big round of applause this morning. Turning your sorrow, turning your sorrow into seed, your sorrow into seed this morning. Hold on just a second. I just want to make a comment. I know we're a little over, but um, I just want to comment. You know, I, I actually had forgotten all about that story, Pastor James, but I remember 20 years ago when Vessel, when Vessel gave you uh, the deal, but what James didn't tell you uh, this morning is that that $50,000 was every single penny that they had. They had nothing left. And when they arrived in South Africa, they thought they were going to be able to move into a home. And when they got there, their house was half built, full of weeds and trash, and there was no roof on it. It was dilapidated. When they got off the plane and they arrived, they had nowhere to go. They were completely empty. They had nothing left. I think that sometimes God has to take us to the place where we have nothing left. Sometimes things don't turn until we let it all go. And there's just some of you here today, you're there. You, you, you don't want to admit you're there, but there's nothing left. Bow your heads with me, okay, real quick here. If you know you're at a place and there's nothing left and you're ready to uh, turn that sorrow into seed, lift your hands all across the building. doesn't matter if you're up here or not. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for what you've done today. I thank you, Father, for the wonderful... Uh, people, the, the the sons and daughters of God that are lifting their hands and saying, Lord, I've got nothing left. I've really, I've found myself at the end. I'm finally here. So Jesus, I turn my sorrow into seed. Say this out loud with me. Say, Jesus, I'm turning my sorrow into seed. Jesus, Jesus, I have faith that what I sow is in a spiritual bank account. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.